Let's just bow our heads as we, uh, as we come to God's word this morning. Father, I thank, you, uh, I thank you that your word is living and active, Lord. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, Lord. We know it uh, pierces our, our flesh and our bone and our marrow. And yet we also understand and know that you have a purpose set forth for it, Lord, and that it will not return void. And we just pray that this morning that would be the case, Lord, that you would uh, fulfill the purpose that you have in mind for this passage for our church this morning, Lord. That any words uh, of mine, Lord, that you would uh, replace them with your words this morning, Lord. I pray that uh, you would uh, empower us with your spirit to uh, understand your perfect word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, I think we'll just start out, we'll just read through this chapter. Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature Think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join me in imitating, or join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to this example you have in us. For many whom I have often told you and now have even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is, the, is destruction. Their God is their belly, they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body with the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Philippians chapter 3. Not necessarily a comfortable chapter as we come to it. It's interesting. I started out looking at the book of Philippians, and it's, there's this theme of rejoicing and joy. And as I look at it, I keep on getting made uncomfortable about my flesh and who I am. 
as I learn how to find joy and rejoice in the Lord. So Paul starts off in chapter 3, and he says, finally, you know, Paul's a regular preacher because he says, finally, I'm almost at the end, but the reality is only halfway through his letter. So Paul's kind of like some of the, us who can be long-winded some days. So Paul starts off, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He's going to talk about our position in Christ and who we are and where we can find our joy, even if it doesn't make us comfortable as we hear these things about ourselves. I love what he says in, in verse 1 here. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. This morning we're not going to hear anything we haven't heard before. Nothing new. In fact, in Ecclesiastes it tells us there's nothing new under the sun. We know that in the word of God there's nothing new. But there's a pattern in discipleship and growing in the Lord of repeating, repeating, repeating. Of repeating the basic truths of the gospel. That we don't leave the basics behind. The idea that as we repeat and learn in the Lord and learn these things about ourselves and the depravity of ourselves and the goodness of the Lord, that we'll grow into maturity, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, to mature manhood, to a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This idea that as, as, we, re, as we cruise through Scripture and we relearn and reaffirm the truths that God has laid out in Scripture, that we'll grow solid in our faith. We need to be reminded of these things. You know, even the great Apostle Paul, who's, who's right, who's, whose letter we're studying this morning, we know what he said as he struggled in his flesh. Why do I do the things I do and not do the things I ought to do? As he learns, and I believe that we all, no matter where we are in our walk with our Lord, we need to learn and repeat and repeat the basics. Repeat, repeat. So it's safe for us to hear the same things again, and it's no trouble to the writer or to the pastor or the speaker to repeat. He gets into verse, say, verse 2, and what does Paul say? He says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What are you talking about here? Dogs, evildoers, flesh mutilators? You know, in the time of Paul, the term dog was, it was a term of, of derision. We'd be talking about a man of an impure mind, wrong motives, Something to be mocked or jeered, ridiculed and scoffed at. Evildoers, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Guys with evil motives, wrong, wrong, wrong intentions. And then he goes on, he says, flesh mutilators. What does flesh mutilators mean? You know, the NASB translates this, this phrase as the false circumcision. You know, I think all of these three terms Paul is referring to the Judaizers. He's addressed these guys a few times in Galatians. He talked about them. And they're the guys who were saying that you needed to, to fulfill the entire Mosaic law and add Christ to be saved. That you needed to be, if you're a man physically circumcised, you had to come under all these laws. And he actually, he's playing on words here. He's calling them mutilators of flesh. Men who destruct, who destroy destroying true faith. You know, we understand when we talk about 
circumcision and the idea of the New Testament that it's not about so much about a physical thing. The basic idea of circumcision is being set apart. Even if we go back into Deuteronomy chapter 10, you'd see that after Moses came down with the second set of Ten Commandments, in verse 16 it says, Circumcise your hearts, therefore. Do not be stiff-necked any longer. And you have our hearts being trimmed and set apart for the Lord. In, in chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, it says, And the Lord will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. This idea of the Lord doing a work in our heart, of separating us out, calling us out. You know, we know that with these Judaizer guys, they were trying to put this physical law, this stuff on. And what, what did the Jerusalem Council tell, respond with in Acts 15? What did they say? It says that, the, that we as believers are to simply abstain, aside from trusting the Lord, but as for rules and regulations, that we are to abstain from eating meat sacrificed to idols and sexual immorality and what was strangled, from, strangled and from blood. We know from what we were talking about last time in chapter, in chapter 2, this idea of living out our salvation, not living for our salvation, not working for our salvation, but that our lives would be in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that as a reflection of the grace the Lord has given us, that we would expel good works, but that the good works don't save us, that meeting those ticky boxes of the law don't save us. He goes on in verse 3 and he says, For we are the circumcision. So we are those who, set our, who are set apart. And he describes those of us who are set apart, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in our flesh. The idea that we're set apart because of our worship of the Lord as we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. That we find our glory, the idea of glory, the, the, to take pride or pleasure in, something that we can boast about, that we take our pride and our pleasure, that we boast in Jesus Christ and his finished work. We can boast and take confidence and have pride in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is worthy of our confidence. He is strong. In Colossians 1.15, a familiar passage, it says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We can have confidence in Jesus he says that those of us who are of the circumcision set apart have no confidence in our flesh. It's so easy sometimes for us as we walk in this world to start relying on our flesh again. I was thinking about the difference between relying on my fleshly goodness or what I do and relying on Jesus Christ. And I was thinking in the context of a house. You know, we, we all know the familiar story as children of the solid, the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. And that idea, the idea that, that trusting in my flesh and the things that I do 
It's like a really cute little house. Someone's painted it. They've given it a facelift. You walk in the house. It's got fresh paint. Maybe there's some new tile down. The outside of the house has got fresh paint. It looks okay. But if you were to really get in there and inspect it, you'd find that right off the get-go, they didn't dig a proper foundation. This place is maybe on some little pier blocks or on sand. It's not solid. We'd find that the windows have failed, that the walls have mold and rot in them. Looks good on the outside, but the inside is not solid, has no lasting value. Maybe the roof's been leaking. The reality, a teardown versus a home built by Jesus Christ where they've dug down through the topsoil, through the sand to the hard pan, and they've poured a concrete foundation on solid hard pan and built a house square and true and level and properly installed the windows and the insulation and the roof, and there's lasting value. It's actually an asset, not a liability. It's not a facade. The inside of the cup is as clean as the outside of the cup. In Colossians chapter 2, it tells us about the, the folly of the appearance, the appearance of wisdom promoting self-made religion. And then it goes on to say, but they are of no value. Paul jumps in and he says, you know what? The confidence in the flesh, he said, if it, if it was of any value here, let me show you my resume. And then I'm going to tell you what I think about my resume. It says in verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in, this, in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for the confidence, I have more. Hey, guys, I got a better resume than you. I know it. That's what he's saying. He first starts off and he talks about four things that were by birthright or something that his parents have done. First off, he was circumcised on the eighth day. His parents were religious and he was brought up, and the religious law was upheld by the time he was eight days old. Secondly, he was from the people of Israel. He was born into God's chosen people. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, one of the two tribes that didn't split away when the kingdom was torn apart. It says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. You know, Paul could trace his lineage. He could trace his lineage back. I believe he could say there was no Gentile that was brought in. There was, there was no... It was no proselyte that was brought in that was part of his family tree that he could trace his roots right back to Benjamin. Hebrew of Hebrews. If he could find pride, if, it, if our resume was any good in our family heritage, if our resume was any good in what our parents did bringing us to church, he says, yeah, I got it. Got the best of the best. I was a pastor's kid of a pastor's kid. Brought up in the church is what he's saying. And then he goes on to say, talk about three things that he could find confidence in that were of his own conviction or his own choice. The first thing he says is, as to the law, a Pharisee. So he's talking about as an adult, to, according to the Mosaic law and the laws that had been added by man over time, he was a Pharisee. The idea is, uh, is he's, he's saying that he intellectually followed that law. He's talking about his intellect. The Pharisees, we know them well. They, they held to the, the law to the nth degree. 
but they missed the heart behind the law. We see in Matthew 23 that Jesus rebuked him. And he, said, and he says, you guys have missed mercy and justice and faith. They were so busy worrying about how many steps they walked on the Sabbath. Or that they tithed perfectly from their mint and cumin and such. Intellect, as an adult, was on his resume. Then he says in verse 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. So adding to Paul's resume, he says, I got the intellect, I got the brains. I was a Pharisee. Other places he said, a Pharisee of Pharisees. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Paul went out and he, we know he tortured the church. He brutalized the church. He stood there and, 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 acknowledged and confirmed and gave okay to Stephen Stoning. We know that he was on one of his Christian attack trips, actually, when the Lord caught him, when the Lord blinded him on the road to Emmaus. His reputation was such that uh, Ananias, who was called by the Lord to go and lay his hands on, on Paul to, to heal him of his blindness, was scared to go and told the Lord, I fear, I'm scared. He was had zeal. His resume continues on. Thirdly, and he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You know, in his peer group, he had it all. In his peer group, they thought he had arrived blameless before man. You know, Paul had an identity. His identity when he was Saul was his birthright and his life as a Pharisee, his intellect, his zeal, and, and his uh, righteousness before man. But what does he say? He says, whatever I had, whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul's kind of saying what was said in Matthew 8. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? He's saying, my identity in who my birthright and what I did religiously is kind of like forfeiting, my, forfeiting his soul and gaining the world. We see in verse 7 and 8, he repeats the idea of the lack of value, putting confidence in that. He says it twice, I count it as loss. This idea of a transaction, accounting his goodness as loss now for the sake of knowing Christ is like going from that little house that's all actually a liability to the solid house that the Lord has built that's an asset. It's crossing over from death to life. It's rebuilding you know, I like how the King James defines rubbish. It calls it dung, excrement, filth, dirty stuff. What do we do with that stuff? We toss it out. We don't want it in our presence. We get rid of it. That's what Paul says is the value of his resume. The value of his resume before man. Get to verse 9. And Paul says, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. To me, we're starting to get to the, the climax of the chapter. He's saying all that stuff, my resume, it's all for loss. It says that righteousness that he had before man from the law is not worth it. I think it's interesting the contrast he says my own righteousness that comes from the law and then he says but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus the idea that that resume is his attempt at righteousness not Jesus righteousness Paul's going to talk about true righteousness how we attain true righteousness. We know that God is righteous. We know that God is perfect. We know that righteousness is being right before God. We know that God requires righteousness. And my righteousness doesn't cut it because I'm not God. You know, we talked about how Christ humbled himself to come, back to the, to come down to the world to save us last time. And my righteousness isn't, isn't there. My righteousness is not perfect. Christ came in perfection. You know, in Romans chapter 4, it talks about faith and the righteousness of, Adam, of uh, Abraham, rather, before the law was given. It says that, What shall we say? What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, or his resume, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? He says, Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Not, not to one who works his way, <coughs> sorry, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift. And the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. That perfectness of God is imputed on us in faith so that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ, not my resume that doesn't match up. I love how it says in Romans uh, 4, verse 6, just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one for whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And he says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. It's interesting, the analogy of wages in there. If I go to work, and let's say that uh, I put in X amount of hours and I'm owed a check of $2,000, when I receive that check of $2,000, there is maybe some measure of gratefulness, but I treat it, I treat it, I have an expectation that I'm going to be receiving that money. I have an expectation that it's mine, that it's worth, that I did something that was worth that. If someone gives me a gift of $2,000, whoa, that changes things entirely. I treat that differently in my mind my heart's changed. It's a total different heart attitude. I'm, I'm approaching it out of thanksgiving and gratitude, understanding that I did not deserve this. I did not deserve this gift. I did not exert, 
I did not deserve the hand up. The idea is that our hearts are changed out of gratitude for what Christ has done because our resume will never, ever match up. You know, we know that sin came to the world with one man, the first Adam. And we know that sin is erased from the world by one man, Jesus, the second Adam. Romans 5.17 says, For if because of one man's trespasses death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundant grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life of the one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us righteousness. It's imputed to us. When I think about what God has done, what that gift of righteousness really means in my life, I'm always reminded of, of Colossians chapter 2 in the end, and, um, in verses 13 through 15. It says, and, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him. Having forgiven all of our trespasses, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands. He set, us, set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The idea of nailing my resume to the cross, nailing my attempts to, for salvation, my attempts to get to, to get to God without Christ to the cross. The idea of nailing it to the cross in the Roman time is, is it would be your statement of debt. Your statement of debt to society or to the crown would have been written on a notice and nailed to the cross above your head. So that whenever someone walked by and they seen you suffering on that cross, they would say, oh, he was, he was a murderer. And what Jesus has done is he was on that cross. Last week I, I mentioned the idea of like me standing on his shoulders as he's pulling up for a breath. But it's also, it's got up there every sin that I've done is nailed to the cross and the debt has been paid. The debt has been paid. You know, we have this incredible gift that's imparted to us through faith in Jesus Christ, the ability to stand before God on the judgment day and have him say, enter into my rest because that righteousness of Christ is given to us. Not because of our resume. We talked last time about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, you know what? There's a place for our good works. There's a place for our good deeds. There's a place for all that stuff. But it doesn't save us. It's an outworking, an outward reflection of the inward reality of our hearts, a heart that God has changed from that gift rather than wages. I can never be saved in my wages. It's funny, just thinking about wages. On my day-to-day -day life, my wages cover my bills. Sometimes I go a little bit backwards even. You know what, that free gift, when it shows up, or if it shows up, it takes me out of that negativeness, possibly. Maybe it takes me out of the red and puts me back in the black. Something that my wages didn't necessarily quite do. So Paul says that his resume is of no value. The only thing that's of value is his hope in Jesus Christ. 
gets into verse 10. He says, That I may know the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know, that is, it's a plea. It's a plea of a man who understands the, the power of Christ. It's the plea of a man who's given up his, his Pharisee, the man who's given up his resume. One commentator said it this way, it's a plea unknown to the legalist. It's unknown. It's a plea from a man humbled and thankful in a heart of gratitude. He says that I might share in his sufferings. You might remember in, when we were in chapter 1, we bumped across the word koinonia a few times. It's the same word here, that idea of fellowship, participating, coming alongside. Paul says that I may share in his sufferings, that I may know him more. You know, we are the king's kids, are we not? We have been, as it says in Romans 7, we have been brought in as heirs. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. As Matt's been teaching through 2 Peter, we've, uh, we've, or 1st and 2 Peter, we've been seeing there's this theme of suffering that it produces right, or, um, maturity. We've seen that suffering could even be considered a gift. I think it was at the end of chapter 1. And here he says that I may share and participate in the sufferings of Christ. Paul says that I may become like him in his death. We talked about the obedience of Christ last time. How he is obedient to God the Father, came under submission. Obedient to death by a brutal death on the cross for you and for me. He's obedient and submitted to order. You know, I think it's so cool that that. Jesus, when he submitted to the, the plan that was laid out, he fulfilled the purposes that God had set out for him. I believe that Paul fulfilled the purposes that God had set out for him before he was martyred. There's a verse that says that after David had fulfilled what the Lord had for him to do, he slept with his fathers. To me, it's a great promise. It's a great promise that I have a calling on my life, that there is a place for participation, for sharing in, coming alongside, that the Lord's not done with me. And Paul says, to doing this, that I may, by any means possible, attain the resurrection from the dead. He's saying, you know what? He's writing this while he's still in the flesh. He has not yet been martyred. And he's, he's going to be yet and he's with eager expectation that he's going to be raised from the dead to be with the Lord on that great day. He's looking forward to the day of Christ. He says that I may know... Sorry. <clears throat> Looked at my wrong sheet. Verse 12, he says, Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. 
Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love the humility of Paul. He says, not that I have already attained or am perfect. He understands that he's still in his fleshly body. We know that Paul's struggled with some sin still. Why do I do the things I do and not do the things I ought to do? He understands that, that as long as we are in our flesh, we have not arrived. I cannot ever think that I have arrived. If I start thinking I've arrived, suddenly I've turned back into that Pharisee and I'm trying to live in confidence in my resume rather than live in confidence in Christ Jesus alone. He had imperfections. He was real. No aura about Paul. And I press on. Press on to make, make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Suffering for Christ, obedience to Christ, out of thanksgiving for the finished work of Christ. He keeps on pressing on. He says, one thing I do, I'm focused on the goal, focused on that fulfilling the purpose called out, called for him. He recognizes that we're to carry on. We're not to look back. He says, one thing I do, looking forward to what lies ahead. He's leaving his resume in the past. He's leaving his, fa- his past failings at the foot of the cross and saying, Lord, what do you have for me today? And what is the purpose to attain the goal you have set out for me? Pressing on. It's the idea of being yoked with Jesus. We read that, that the yoke of Christ is not burdensome or heavy but it still is a yoke. If we think of oxen, that's the context. We think of oxen, a team of oxen. It's not saying I'm on my own. It's saying that Jesus is there beside me, helping me, pushing me, helping me push against the load, that load that's been put forth for us to do, to fulfill in our lives. I love what the prize is. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. The prize, in my mind, is a couple things. It's not, it's not fame and fortune. It's not being righteous before man. It's to be used of God, and it's to enter into his rest. A prize, a free gift in righteousness. Verse 15 says, Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if any of you think otherwise, let God reveal it to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. You know, those who are mature, as we grow in our maturity with Christ, as we grow in the Lord, we're going to start to recognize that we haven't fully arrived, that we are still in our flesh, that as we grow closer to the Lord, we go closer and closer to being like Him, Christ-like, but we still struggle, that we haven't arrived. We can't rely on our resume or our laurels. The mature will recognize as we grow in maturity that Jesus has done the whole work of our salvation, not me. And the mature will push on as we grow in maturity, push on to fulfill the calling God's put in our lives. Paul then goes on and he says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. 
you know, we are to follow Christ Jesus. And God has put godly examples around us to help us. Examples, Paul was one of them here. The idea is follow me as I follow Christ. Corinthians 1, uh, 11, verse 1, it says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The idea of following a godly example. As iron sharpens iron. We know that Paul, there was Paul and Timothy, like a father-son relationship. Iron sharpening iron. Timothy following and being mentored. Do you have a Paul in your life? If you've been serving the Lord for many years, is there a Timothy in your life? Someone that you can train and show and explain the goodness of the Lord, how he's carried you through, how he's taken your resume and changed it into the goodness of the righteousness of Christ. When I read this, I also am challenged in my own heart. Is my walk with the Lord one worth imitating? As I grow in discipleship, am I actually growing? Or have I stagnated? I want to be like Paul. I want to be more like him. I want to be a man that's one tracked for the Lord. I want to be one that's an example that's worth following. I want to be one who can find joy in my salvation because it's not about me. So it's a challenge for me. Is my life producing good fruit, mediocre fruit, or bad fruit? finishes off the last few verses. He says, For many of whom I have told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. I think Paul's referencing those, those three characteristics he talked about at the beginning. The dogs, the evil doers, and the flesh mutilators. I think that's his primary one he's talking about. That they're walking as enemies of the Christ. Interesting. Enemies of Christ, those who who add to the gospel and taint it. And I think he's probably also talking about just mankind in general who is not serving the Lord, who has turned their back on the Lord and ran and walked away. We talked last time that about being lights in this dark and twisted, crooked world and generation. We do live in this dark and twisted world and generation. You know, and it says here that the end their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Maybe it's gluttony. Maybe it's worldly stuff. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's their sexuality. Maybe it's their, I don't know what. They glory in their shame. They boast about it. Mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. As we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who transformed our lowly body, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. One commentator that I read said about citizenship, and I quote, one paraphrase of citizenship 
is in, in, is in heaven reads like this, we have our home in heaven, and here on earth we are a colony of heaven's citizens. Paul is saying, just as a Roman colonist never forgot that they belonged to Rome, you must never forget that you are citizens of heaven, and your conduct must match your citizenship, end quote. My citizenship, you know, I have a passport that says Canadian, but that's not really my citizenship. My citizenship is with Christ Jesus through faith that he's put his righteousness on me, imputed it to me. In Roman times, they had outposts. They never gave up their Roman citizenship, but they were living in a different world, so to speak. Kind of how we are. Lights in a dark world. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. We're called to work out our salvation, not work for our salvation. Maybe if we have a little bit of a resume of good works and things that we have maybe done, the question is, is the resume a thank you response to the free gift or are we trying to buy wages? So I ask myself as I come to the end of this chapter, I see this, these calls to my life. So where's my identity? Is my identity in my resume or is my identity in Jesus? Is my identity in my relationship with Christ or my religion? Is my identity in true righteousness or in false righteousness? Am I serving the Lord day to day with a grateful heart or am I trying to earn wages? Have I put my fleshly stuff, do I consider it as dung, as rubbish? Or do I cling onto it so tight? Can I say like Paul that I really truly want to know God more? I want to know Christ more? To press on, to suffer for him? These are questions I I'm struck with as I must search my heart and ask the Lord to reveal the truth of my heart. Reminded that I cannot earn anything. Because the great promise in verse 21 for those of us who are in Christ Jesus in faith is that he will transform this lowly tent. He's going to take this tent. He's going to take that rotten house with the failed windows and the crappy foundation that's sliding away and he's going to replace it with a body that will be like his glorious body. A solid house on a solid foundation on hard pan with a good roof with windows that don't leak and insulation and, and no wind whistles in this winter time. A mansion in glory. It's faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus here this morning, I challenge you Pursue Jesus Christ. Ask him to come and give you that free gift of salvation, the free gift of righteousness. Righteousness that actually fulfills the perfect righteousness of God our Father. Ask Jesus to change your heart. For those of us who have known Christ a long time, to me it's just a challenge. Make sure that I haven't started to slide back into my old ways. I may press on. 
Father, I thank you for your word. Whether comfortable or not, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is maybe penned thousands of years ago, but so real for today. Father, I pray that you'd help me to keep my confidence in you, my eyes on the goal, pressing forward, Lord. Father, I pray you just touch our hearts and change us, bring us back into conformity to your ways, Lord. Thank you.